0: Social life, it's the Terran Show. The Terran Show. Don't ask if he's single, you already know, cause it's the Terran show. A simple name for a simple guy with a simple face. It's the Terran Show. Hello everyone and welcome to the Terran Show it's uh I am Taryn your host and uh, I, I feel like these intros are getting worse and worse I'm, I'm very sorry but um uh, today today I'm talking to uh, a great friend of mine I was a huge fan of him actually um before I got into podcasting and now that I've gotten into podcasting it's it's like and eh, whatever uh, <laughs> but it's uh it's Dom Harvey from the Dom and Colin podcast how you doing Dom
1: oh well thank you Taron. Uh, i'm doing very well it's, it feels a little bit weird to be under the spotlight myself for a change uh but of course it's a great honor to be here on the number three film and tv podcast in all of canada as far <laughs> as i uh, understand
0: yes that's that's definitely how it works uh <laughs> I, I don't know if you'll still be at number
1: three after having me on i think this is the high point and it's gonna just slide precipitously uh, from here but uh we'll, we'll see what we can do
0: Yeah, it's uh, this is actually uh, the numbers vary on this podcast. It's very guest to guest. So, uh, you know, there's a a lot of pressure uh, being a guest on the Terran show.
1: Well, I was saying to you before we started that I think I'm the first guest you had that isn't either a celebrity in their own right, uh, part of the RHAP multiverse or a former Survivor or Big Brother contestant. So if this gets the the lowest ratings uh, of any episode so far, I will be offended,
0: but I will understand why. <laughs> well maybe it'll be the highest ratings because everyone will be like oh i need to know who this person is yeah there's an air of mystery about it i guess Yes. Uh, Well, for those that don't know who Dom is, if you haven't listened to the podcast, uh, he is a co-host of uh, a Survivor slash Big Brother slash uh, really uh, all sorts of things. Now, Uh, we we did a podcast about the show House. Uh, You've talked about politics. You've talked about other other shows. Um, I believe you also talked about Breaking Bad at one point. Uh, So really a, a, a hodgepodge of things. Yeah, I don't think, did you mention the name, actually, in there anyway? The Dom and Colin podcast. There we go.
1: The only podcast uh, less creatively titled than your own. Uh, So that's that's why you brought me on, just to, to have that contrast in there
0: yeah you know people they, they're racking on me all the time we have a group chat where uh jordan rags on me all the time about the name of the pot nobody talks about the dom and colin podcast uh which is really uh even worse than mine because this is the Terran show that's the Ter- the dom and colin podcast that's even less like that's like it's even more basic in its description because it is a podcast whereas this is like a an artistic uh interpretation of a podcast being a show
1: we are very basic that, that that's certainly true but that was an innocent youthful mistake years ago, whereas you have had a long time to to plot your rise to power i I thought you could at least devote a few more uh you know seconds of thought to this
0: <laughs> see this is this is what i get this is what i get um so yes uh you guys you talk about survivor you talk about big brother uh or at least you used to talk about big brother nowadays uh not not quite as much uh because you've been you've been disillusioned by it i think.
1: We dip our toes in there, so we did one episode to start off BB19. We were full of enthusiasm. We thought this season's going to be great. We're going to cover all of it. Going to get back in the swing of things, and we never did another episode until after the long after the finale. So that shows you our level of commitment on that front. But it, you guys are certainly picking up the slack there. Like if if anyone wants to speak about brother coverage, they're, they're covered. But for lack of a better word, like you 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 really have a, a monopoly over that.
0: Yeah. As, as you guys decreased your coverage, we, uh, we increased it. So that's, uh, I think that's the way it's gone. Uh, but you guys, you really focus on the strategy or at least that's how I always saw you, you know, Rob, uh, he runs, Rob has a podcast and he talks about, uh, he talks about strategy for sure. He does the know-it-alls after Survivor. He does, uh, you know, recap podcasts. We do the big brother podcast. We talk about all kinds of things. Uh, but I always saw you as sort of like the more serious, uh, like, uh, sister podcast, Uh, that, that really was just like delved down deep into the strategy. I have fond memories of listening to you guys talking about survivor and like, what's the best move for this person? And you spent like 15 minutes discussing, uh, like this random person and what they should be doing and all the different scenarios involved. And, uh, as, as like the nerdy strategy guy, I really enjoyed that, uh, as a podcast listener.
1: Well, thank you. And that, so part of that is the background that Colin and I both have in competitive games of some sort. I We met playing an ORG on a poker forum, (laughs) uh, which is uh, not not the story you you usually tell people. Uh, But there, there was a lot of demand back then for something which was more tightly focused on strategy. And nowadays, Rob by himself has got all of your needs covered. However, you try to enjoy reality TV, Rob has some Survivor content that's going to appeal to you on that axis. But back then, uh, when Rob was just starting out here, it was one show a week, and it was trying to be all things to all people and succeeding, mostly. Um, But there was this die hard uh, strategy focused contingent out there that wanted something a bit meatier. So we decided to take a chance on that. And uh, our initial uh, output was not great. Uh, I I went back and listened to some of our Podcast from five or six years ago, and I would not listen to those. If I was listening to that for the first time, it wouldn't be keeping me around. But uh, somehow people have stuck with us, and uh, I think we've got a, a good thing going now.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, this is actually I don't know if I've told you this before, but I remember coming upon your podcast uh, probably around the same time that I found Rob. So pretty early on, uh, maybe it was a little, maybe it came a little after that, but uh, I remember. Uh I, I don't remember listening to it, but I remember listening. I remember the feeling that I got from it was um, th- that one of the people on the podcast came off as a, like a know-it-all jerk. And I stopped listening to it. That <laughs> and has then, to be Colin, right? <laughs> and, and it definitely was Colin. Oh, okay. um, and And then like months later, I found it again. And I was like, oh, I love this. And I love the know-it-all jerk because uh, we share many opinions, uh, and and it, and I love hearing my opinions being expressed in a more know-it-all y jerkiness way. Uh, and um and and I was like, I can't remember why I didn't like this before. I think that like uh, I, I had this impression that maybe you guys were like praising Sandra, but that clearly wasn't it. Uh, <laughs> or that maybe maybe it was that you guys were bragging on bragging on Boston Rob. I can't remember what it was, but you had some opinion that was contrary to mine, and uh, and I, I wasn't I wasn't. Having it apparently,
1: so you're saying that he has the better strategic game, but I have the better social game, which, as we've learned, means I'm going to win, and he's going to be a a robbed goddess in the finals.
0: <laughs> well, see, the thing that that really I think uh, the the moment I knew I loved you, your podcast was the Big Brother uh, winner rankings, or maybe it was the player rankings. I don't remember which it was. Um, I don't know if, if, if was it winner rankings or player rankings.
1: It's, it's been so long that I don't remember myself. But we, we <laughs> covered a lot of ground. There aren't that many winners, so I imagine there were some uh, some uh, some non-winners thrown in there somewhere.
0: Yes, and uh, you had you had Kos on with you, and you uh, you discussed all the the different. I, I think it was a player rankings actually, and and, and it came down to to Will or Dan. And um, I remember you sort of being like the impartial judge between uh, between Cost the Dan fanboy and uh, and Colin, the Will fanboy. And I really I really appreciated the entire discussion because uh, it was, I think, one of the first times I'd seen Big Brother 14 even just discussed in detail. Uh, and I really appre- I really appreciated your uh, your take on it. You, you sort of um you really were the objective uh deciding force there um and that's when i was like ah this dom guy he knows what he's talking about
1: yeah well that would be a fun debate to revisit now almost five years later especially as we're doing this uh, big brother all-stars uh audiobook series now so rewatching that and getting to see some of that in a new and maybe more mature uh perspective uh so if uh yeah that, that's definitely something that i'll i'll put on the target for sure
0: Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, Dan is is better. And and I think everyone knows that except for Colin. But
1: well, so you have this whole Dr. Will uh, circuitry and wires thing going on. But we, we know where your heart really lies. You're, you're a Dan <laughs> fan
0: well look here's the thing people they say i'm a dan fan uh but i was i was a will fan i was a will fan boy i just go wherever the best player is so uh it's not that i'm like uh i i love dan and therefore he's the best player it's the opposite he's the best player therefore i love dan
1: but being a podcaster you need a constant supply of hot takes and you really need to diversify your range of bit. so we got to get some Derek is the best player in there no you're wrong actually maggie is the the secret big brother genius got you gotta know, yeah, amp it up a bit
0: I, you know, uh, I feel like Brent provides all of the uh, diversity that we need in terms of uh, crazy opinions, and, and in yeah, in many other ways as well. Yeah. <laughs> um. So so you mentioned that you you started this podcast. Uh, you met Don, You were, you met Colin uh, on a uh, a poker uh, org game of some sort. Like, tell me more about that.
1: Well, so it was uh, ORG taking place on a poker forum. So uh, the the idea of the forum is to discuss poker strategy, news in poker and so on. But there was this uh, kind of side forum where no one really went, which was uh, like the the puzzles uh, and other games forum, which is mostly like Werewolf and that kind of thing. But occasionally they would hold these, I like summer long Survivor or Big Brother games and I decided, well, I have nothing better to do with my time so I'm just going to sign up for one of these um, and uh, he was in the same game. We got to talking, formed a an ill-fated alliance that didn't last very long uh, but we, you know, we were talking outside of that and everything just kind of went from there. Now, it did... So that experience, you would think that it's it's playing behind the comfort of your screen. And when you get angry at someone, you're not sleep deprived. You're not, uh, you haven't taken a month away from your family. You're just raging at your screen from behind your keyboard. And also you would think being poker players, you would understand how, how games work, that there's variance involved. You learn to take these losses on the chin. But people were really furious about the outcome of those games. So that was the first kind of direct experience for me of, like, if people can get this mad over this, well, surely real Survivor and Big Brother can be that much more uh, emotionally taxing.
0: Yes, um, you t- it's, it's, it was an ill-fated alliance. What happened there? Let, let, let's not get into that. But, so, um, <laughs> what? I, 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 I was
1: screwed over by a twist. I, I, that's the story that oh. I'm sticking with uh, after all this time. <laughs> and he uh you know he 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 was soon to follow after betraying most of his own alliance in the process to to, to to side with me which uh was a true sign of loyalty early on um but yeah this was uh i had a a short but enjoyable reign as uh the kind of org uh king on that forum which was uh kind of fun
0: oh yeah like uh because you because you won a lot of games well i won a game and then was just targeted <laughs> in all of the rest but somehow i managed to kind of claw my way through and some of them but you so you won like uh, a big game. It, everyone respected you. Uh,
1: which is basically the same as uh, winning Real Survivor. And you, know, re- respect, you, you can't buy respect, okay? Even with a million dollars. So I, <laughs> I had an even more valuable commodity there. So why why were
0: you spending so much time on these forums? Are you like a big poker
1: player? Uh, well, not really. So I, I played quite casually, but I, I found the mindset behind it and just the idea of the strategy more entertaining than the strategy itself just the the kind of focus and the perspective on both life and games you need to succeed at that kind of uh activity really appealed to me and still does even though i you know haven't played poker in in years now
0: how how old were you when you when you were doing all this oh
1: god so i was Eighteen, going on nineteen. Uh, I'd been on the forum for a bit before that, but I was, you know, I was at university. wasn't really taking to it that well. wasn't having a great time. And so, like most people who who are in that situation, I kind of lost myself in online, uh, you know, groups, forums, activities, and, uh, you know that that was a really kind of like it, it was refreshing to find people who thought the same way that I did about things and were talking about things in the same way that I did. Um, so even though some of them were a bit rough around the edges, and it was a very uh kind of macho environment in one sense it was also like you just don't really hear that kind of discussion anywhere else and so you know despite all of its flaws i kept
0: coming back to it i yeah i don't think i've i've ever actually uh told the uh, any sort of audience this, but i used to be on the imdb forums quite a lot uh when i was uh, probably like uh, late middle school early high school um And uh, that was a that was a terrible place. (laughs) They they have since cleansed this. So I'm free to talk about nobody can find this anymore. The IMDb forums, they're gone from existence, uh, which is a shame in some regard. But in in another regard, they were also uh, trash.
1: Yeah, I I feel like any any kind of online uh, group that becomes sufficiently large just descends into complete chaos after after not very long.
0: Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, and uh, I used to I used to play these uh, these like role playing games uh, where there'd be a writer that was telling a story and you would be a playable character in the story. And you'd have like choices and you'd make choices throughout the, the thing. And uh, I actually wrote one myself that ended up being like a 200 page like novel. Um, and it was like a horror novel and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I made friends through that. I also was a, a big Xbox live guy. So I, I very much know the, uh, the online community stuff. I don't, I don't like, uh, do it anymore. Um, but uh that was always like my main source of like community i think uh the the online community i feel like uh i i very much was was raised by television and uh and i made friends online i'm a very much a technology uh grown-up person
1: yeah whenever i hear these the and it's usually people in like their 60s or 70s say oh when i was a kid things were so much better people would actually get outside and talk to each other they wouldn't just be looking at phones all day it's like i I can kind of see where they're coming from but at the same time like if you're someone who maybe was struggling to make friends or you, you just lived in somewhere where there just weren't that many people or people who didn't have the same interests that you did, just having access to those people, knowing that you weren't alone, that there are other people out there like you who you could just connect with whenever you wanted was really a breath of fresh air. And I think there are lots of kids who, you know, even if those relationships uh, aren't continuing nowadays, even if those forums have long since been lost to uh, like the memory hole of the Internet, you know, that, that was a really formative experience for them. And it certainly was for me.
0: Yeah. You know, and like, there's, there's people from all over the world. Like I, I ended up befriending, you know, some girl in, in Russia uh, who was like talking about like Russian politics. And uh, there, there were, I don't know, they're like just, it, the, I i got to interact with so many different people. I remember I was friends with uh, a, a kid from California who then when the, uh, when, uh, what's his name? The governor, um, Schwarzenegger. When he became, yeah. uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger became the governor of California, uh, like he was talking about that and like, oh my God, like I, I think my parents are going to move because they hate this guy. Um, and I felt like I, I learned a lot about different places, like stuff that I could never have been interacting with if not for the internet. Uh, which isn't like it doesn't make it a perfect thing, but I was always skeptical of the people that were talking about, like, oh, you know, like people should be going outside, they should be doing this, they should be doing that, uh, you know, like technology these days. Oh man, I was like, well, what what's the problem? Like, why yeah. why is that a bad thing? You haven't you haven't described to me what makes it inherently bad, other than it's different from what you experienced um and i think there are pros and cons uh but uh it's interesting and and i I think a lot of the people that i have been able to relate to as an adult went through a similar experience where they they really um they uh, usually when i meet somebody and i get along with them they're like oh yeah i used i used to do like a community thing on the forums back in the day um it's interesting
1: i think the internet also is a haven for people with that kind of obsessive personality. Like I'm someone who, mm. if, I, if I'm interested in something, I really want to dive into it and know everything there is to know and like read all the history and, and just be like this encyclopedia of knowledge about it. Um, and, you know, depending on what that interest is, if it's anything remotely obscure, you're probably not going to find that in real life or you're not going to have easy access to that. Whereas you can easily spend hours and lose yourself just on Wikipedia, on like the darkest reaches of the internet, learning all there is to know about the thing that you really care about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's, I think like, uh, I was drawn to IMDb because I was a fan of like movies. And then being on IMDb and being my obsessive self, I was like, well, these people know so much about things they know more than me i want to know more than them and so i just i was on a quest to just watch all the movies uh which became a quest to watch all the tv shows and um and then of course uh, i was always into big brother and uh it it soon became a quest to consume everything big brother so i'd know more about big brother than anyone and uh clearly i've succeeded
1: yeah and that hard drive inside your brain do you have all of humanity's recorded content on there yet or is there still some way to go
0: there's there's a ways to go uh i'm constantly constantly loading stuff up uh i do have the problem of like just completely forgetting things especially And i know a lot of people have these problems but i try to read books a lot and uh and like I, i i'm a huge fan of the fantasy genre and there's always these big series and every time i go to the new book in the series i'm like i don't remember anything from the previous ones and i have to reread them and it's it's a huge mess it's a huge mess dom
1: Yeah, I was a massive reader back when I was in school. And part of that was just that was one of my kind of escapist routes away from things that were going on, I would just lose myself in books. Uh, But I found that after the age of like seventeen or eighteen, I just didn't really read at all. I, I mean, I, I read voraciously online, lots of articles, lots of debates on you know Facebook, Twitter, a Forum Post, everything else. But I, I never really just sat down and read a book. And uh, I one thing I took to recently because you know my commute now is about an hour each way, so I have time to really digest things. Is you know I got myself a Kindle. I was downloading lots of books. So I thought, okay, this is great. I'm going to start reading again. Uh, I've got some time where there are no other distractions. And what I found was. certainly there there were distractions i mean my kindle connected to the internet so there's twitter which is uh not not really a good sign but then also like there the thing i find with uh you know books and and other stuff too is like a lot of it if i know it already i keep coming back to it and i want to really explore every corner of it rather than moving on to new things so there are books especially some of my favorite books which i have read multiple times and there's so there's so much uh replay value almost to them so much uh, that you just can't take in on a first reading. I would just like loop the same book over and over again until I really felt I had mastered it. But that would take months, and so I like, just I would just have this stack of virtual books piling up, waiting for me to to get through them.
0: I always have trouble starting new ones, even if it's like a new book in a series that I'm already enjoying. It's like uh, there's just like you have to like you have to get past a certain point. Um, You know, in 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 film, they they they'll call it like the inciting event or whatever. There's a bunch of different terms for it. But like it usually happens within like the first 10 minutes and in a movie uh, or a show, I can be doing something else during those first 10 minutes that I don't have to like. Be super invested but in a book you have to read like you, it has to consume your entire uh attention and uh to like not be into the book yet but be reading every single word is like ah uh, there's there's Things that have circumvented this issue for me in the past, and now I'm, like, uh, having to push myself through. So every time I have, like, a, a goal, like, I'm going to read more books, I, I, like, I get into one, and then I'm, like, really into it, and I read the whole thing, and I'm like, yes, I'm doing books. Books are being done. And then I get to the next one, and I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> that's a whole thing every single time. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So uh, when I left university, there, there was this book grant that you could get, which was meant to be over the course of your years there, you would buy the books for your course, and then you would read them. So you wouldn't have to pay as much. I just never bought any of those books. And so at the end, I just had this uh, voucher, essentially, I could just buy what I wanted with. So I bought this like this massive crate of books. And they're still just lying in a spare room somewhere, that like half unread four years later, because I just never got round to, to reading some of it. And it's not because I didn't care, or I wasn't interested. It's just there are so many things competing for your time and attention that to really sit down and enjoy a book, it feels almost archaic in a way, although when you get to do it, it's, it's very comforting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. And, you know, we talked about like people, oh, there's so many things to, to take your attention and, and technology. I think that is one of the downsides is that like, um, you lose the, the, I don't think, I don't think I've lost the ability to like sit down and slow down and read a book. Cause I still do that. Um, but it is more difficult and, Again, that's not necessarily a bad thing because other things have replaced that. But when you do want to be reading a book, it is more difficult to to slow yourself down. Um, And I think technology has definitely contributed to that. Uh, And again, not necessarily in a bad way, just because we're used to different things and uh and it, it's it's interesting um but yeah i used to i had a job where i just read all day um and so i was stuck somewhere and i had nothing else i could do but read um and that's when i got through tons and tons of books and so like I'm always looking for the moments in life where I'm stuck doing something. And then I'm like, that's the moment where I'm going to do the thing I've always wanted to be doing, like reading. Uh, like I'm going to be on, I'm flying out to, to Reno for the, uh, the live know-it-alls uh, tomorrow morning. And it's, there's no direct flights to Reno. So I'm, I'm going to like uh, Salt Lake City and then, and then Reno. It's going to be like a nine hour trip the whole way. I'm like, I'm just going to read the whole time. Just tons of reading.
1: Yeah, I I think like most people fill those moments with podcasts, and I found now that I have a job where I can just listen to podcasts all day. I'm running out of podcasts to listen to. There are not enough good podcasts out there. So, people listening, step up your game. Make podcasts yourself. Get you know, validate me. Give me attention. I need stuff to do. I I you know I, I can't just be
0: listening to other people at work all day. Well, see, that's that's my problem is that like I'm really good at finding things to do. Like if I I used to to have like. I used to listen to, to tons and tons of podcasts uh, and I needed more and more and more because I was doing things that that like I, w- I could listen to a podcast while I did them. And so I just keep getting more and more podcasts and I got really good at finding them. Now I have like hundred podcasts that I listen to—they're all organized in different playlists uh, with different speeds and and all that stuff—and then I find my my lifestyle changes and I'm not having long commutes anymore and I'm not doing things that I can listen to a podcast while I'm doing them—and now all of a sudden it's just like oh they start piling up and uh, and then I'm like okay how do I find the time to listen to podcasts now and uh, I'm not very good at like uh, like reorganizing because like I got so many podcasts in response to the life I was living, and then my life changed. And then now it's like, how do I change my current life to fit the podcast? Uh, it's 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 weird like that.
1: Yeah, people say, Oh, th- there are so many podcasts out there nowadays, every survivor has a podcast, every non survivor person has a podcast about a survivor. So, yeah, you know, how do you find the time to listen to everything? And I guess I'm lucky having a job currently that lets me do that. But I, I just don't see I, I need that I need that uh, content out there like I, I need to have something to distract me that I can listen to I find it's easier to focus on other stuff when part of my brain is distracted by something else and can't distract the rest of my brain uh, so podcasts really fill that needs for me and uh, that's not just because I've, I've taken to it myself it's just I think it's a, a great medium and one which you know for all the people joke about everyone having a podcast I think it's still uh, heavily unexplored and there's a lot of room to uh, to go there and I think shows
0: like this uh, are the first step in that Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I complete, I'm completely with you with the uh, like needing something else for my brain to focus on. Like, uh, I, I don't like that. That's the thing about reading. Is like. It's one of the few things that requires almost all of your attention. Luckily, you can listen to music while reading. So I do that. But if I'm not doing at least two things, I feel very frustrated. I'm like, I'm wasting my time with just one thing. I should be doing two things. Uh, And and the the only times I want to be doing one thing is when I've got like a show on in the background or like uh, I'm doing something while watching a show and then suddenly it captivates me. And without even realizing it, I've been focusing on the show or the movie or whatever it is for all that time um but otherwise i feel like i'm just like why am i not doing something else (laughs) it's it's very frustrating even like when i'm talking to somebody uh having a conversation with them i like my my brain wants to be doing other things and uh it's uh it's a problem yeah i i I might be
1: on twitter right now and that's not because of you that's just a problem that i have that i need to deal with somehow
0: no, see, people uh, like I mean I, I I know like I wouldn't be on Twitter if I was having a conversation with somebody, but uh, I I'm not the the best at um, like I, like if people if people knew what was going on in my head while I was talking to them, I think they'd be offended in the same way that they'd be offended if I was looking <laughs> at my phone while I was talking to them uh, well, well, because people, I'm thinking about
1: other things. <laughs> but people never know what's in your head when you're talking to them because you never say anything about it. You're, you you have this uh, mystique about you. you. You're you're this man of mystery.
0: Well, there is Because if I said things about it, then people would be offended. They'd be like, why, why, why aren't you focusing your attention on me, Taryn? This is very annoying.
1: Well, One thing I really like about podcasting, though, is in all seriousness, is uh, obviously, if you want to do it as a career, if you want to be affiliated with some kind of sponsor or a network or something, then you need to uh, kind of network and everything else. And and there are certain things you have to go through there. But in general, there is a complete lack of gatekeeping. Basically, if you want a podcast... There's no expensive gear required. You don't have to go through any kind of special training. There's no like complex process you need to master. You can just go out there and do it. So if you if you feel that the conversation is missing your voice uh, for whatever reason, then you can add it to that conversation. Uh, and I I really like that. And so for as much as I, I know that you know one of the re- recurring jokes on Twitter is like the collective noun for white men is a podcast, and that's true. Like there, there are criticisms to be made on that line, but like if you're someone who you feel that okay, you have a, a unique perspective that needs to be shared, or not, not, or maybe not a unique perspective, one which you think lots of people do share, but which numerically just isn't represented. You can you can do your part to rectify that if you have the time.
0: Yeah, that's that's absolutely true, and um, it, that's it's sort of like how I I got involved in Rob as a podcast was I I felt like. The, especially after having listened to, um, you know, the the Big Brother coverage uh, that I, or even just on the forums, like ev- basically everywhere I looked, uh, I, I saw nobody representing my thoughts, my perspective on Big Brother. And so when Rob put out the call for live feed correspondence, I was like... <sighs> I mean, I I want I'd want to listen to me. Uh, I don't think anybody else does because I don't see anybody talking about this or want to being receptive to it. But uh, I certainly would. Um, and it's it's totally crazy that I even felt that way because now I am I am on the podcast and sometimes my views are are like talked about as though they are the establishment views like this is this is the consensus like uh this is like people always talk about like this kind of stuff and i'm like what? I, okay that's that's totally news to me but i'm uh i'm i guess i'm happy about it it's it's a very weird thing
1: yeah so when we interviewed uh rob sessnino a few months ago after which we were very quickly upstaged by you interviewing rob sessnino to kick off uh, the <laughs> town show
0: i had interviewed him first the, the, that is we actually true we just <laughs>
1: We didn't know that at the time. We didn't know he was playing both sides. Okay, <laughs> uh, so so when we did that, we we uh, quizzed him about what does it feel like to be such a, a big presence that your views can warp reality, basically. Like if you like going into the pre-gaming process for Cambodia, the the second chance voting. I, I think if Rob had endorsed someone, that could really have swung a lot of votes. I think you know Stephen got on in large part because of his long time association with Rob, and the RGP fanbase was was this massive. Uh, voting block, for lack of a better word, uh, that really uh, drove a lot of the outcomes there. And it's and yeah, he seemed as k- kind of puzzled by his own power as everyone else did.
0: Yeah, it, it is very weird. It, it, like when I, when I first started, I'd occasionally see people talking about, uh, like like referencing me as like, oh, well, Taryn said this, or they'd be talking about uh, like an idea or something that I expressed like word for word, uh, they'd be talking about it on like the Big Brother subreddit or somewhere. And I'd be like, "This is crazy! Like, this is literally my voice being talked about. Like, it's now in the 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 community, and it's being talked about, and it's being discussed. Uh, and that was just that was just so awesome and and strange. Uh, and it still is awesome and strange. And um, you know, I, I I really enjoy it." I, 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 I even like when um when like discussions are are built from it you know um I never I don't want to be a, any sort of establishment I don't think I am either I think uh I think that certainly you know Rob as a podcast is is probably the biggest um you know Big Brother. Coverage, whatever you want to call it, uh, but even within Rob as a podcast, it's never one view that's being expressed. It's usually uh, me, and then there's uh, there's Brent, who's usually the opposite of me, and uh, and now we've got you know like, like Melissa, who is usually usually Melissa is really the voice of the the fans nowadays. Um, uh, but yeah, it's 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 interesting. Did did you experience any of that at all? Like when you started talking about these shows, like what was your experience with uh, with like listener? reaction
1: so i our experience with that was mostly quite positive i think because uh we weren't really affiliated to something larger like rhap the only people who were seeking us out were the ones who wanted to know what we had to say and who liked what we had to say so you, you get a few comments especially with uh some of the political stuff that i've been doing recently that you know you get people who don't share your views or who you know that they, they react in a certain way but i th- for, for the most part it's been almost entirely positive and uh i do wonder if You know, we kind of are the beneficiaries of our own lack of success, if you think about it like that, whereas like, you know, we are off in our corner doing our own thing, we don't really have to be concerned about what our, you know, what is the public going to think, because most of the public don't know who we are, don't know that we exist, and the ones who do know what we're about and can either take it or leave it.
0: Yeah, I think there's a there's like a critical mass that um that can be approached where it's like uh you know, you initially um and I and I think I've seen this a little bit too with myself or like initially people like anybody that bothers to listen to you or talk about you is going to or talk to you is going to be people that cared enough to seek you out and and find you and stuff like that. But the more the the bigger you get, the more in your face you in, in people's faces you are, um and so like if if somebody's like just seeing me or you or Rob or whoever, um, you know, because they didn't seek it out, but it's just like in their face, then they're much more likely to be critical and uh, and like get this out of here. I don't want. I don't want this. I, I still don't know what I really think about podcasting just as an activity. Like, is it is it
1: arrogant in a sense that you have? all of these things out there competing for people's time, and then even if you drill down on a more granular level, like if if you want to listen to people talk about Survivor on a podcast, you you have 15 different options out there, right? So why are you, as a 16th, going to appeal to them in a way that uh, all, all, all the others haven't? But at the same time, there's something almost vulnerable about it as well like you are putting yourself out there and this is content that you're giving to the world and often as much as you try to put a brave face on in public people can like make or break your day based on the the reactions to uh to what you're to what you're saying um and i know that it's very easy like if you get 10 positive comments and one negative comment to just fixate on the negative comment and ignore all of the other feedback that you get and so if you're someone who uh doesn't have a good kind of well grounded sense of their own self esteem, that can be very damaging, certainly. And I I understand why there are people who might enjoy the idea of
0: podcasting, but don't really want to take that first step because they're scared of what the the blowback might be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, that's something that I think we've we've talked about a lot on this show in particular, like even I think, honestly, even the strongest people, even the people most like self reassured, like it's still uh, it's still a drain on you to to even like see these things like um, you could be the most self confident person in the world. But if you see day after day negative comments about you, you have to actually like consume willpower and energy to be like, well, that's fine. Not gonna let it affect me, and that's gonna be draining on you. Um, really, I think the only uh, the the only response you can have is to just ignore it um, and like try to not even see it, which is unfortunate because you want to see valid criticism. You just don't want to see people who are like, uh, "You suck. Uh, get out of here. I don't. I don't want you. Um, it, it, I don't care who you are. It 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 affects you in some way." It's like
1: the, the Dr. Will thing of when you, you talk constantly about how, oh, I'm over Big Brother, I don't care about Big Brother. And then when you spend a certain amount of time doing that, it gets to the point where that by itself is caring about it. So if you feel the need to say every single day on Twitter, you know, hashtag never cared, I don't care about the haters, then it's like, well, who are you trying to convince really? <laughs>
0: yeah uh yeah i mean uh dr will is a great example because uh a lot of people believe him but he's clearly not uh over big brother and and thank god for that honestly yeah uh, yeah exactly I, i'm curious
1: for you as someone who is now doing this full-time trying to make a career out of it there's really no obvious like professional development route for podcasting right like you, you don't major in podcasting at school there's no like interviewing class that you can take, you don't get some professional certificate uh, that certifies that you're this uh, qualified podcaster, you just kind of have to feel your own way out there. Uh, Are there uh, kind of sources of inspiration for you? Are there uh, examples of people who you think do their job especially well or badly, and that you try to learn from or learn to not be like?
0: Yeah, I mean, like I said, and this sort of is is how I developed as uh, an editor too, is just like, the things I consume are my classes. Like I learned more about editing and storytelling just through watching the sheer amount of movies and television shows that I did than any of my time in college as a video production major. Um, and so it's, it's sort of the same thing listening to podcasts. Like you just, the more you listen, the, the, the more it just like you learn the natural rhythms of things. And, um, and then especially once you start paying attention, like once I start, started podcasting. Um, I started paying attention more to the podcast that i liked and thought like about you know th- these people do this really well these people don't do this really well um rob was obviously a huge inspiration for me uh you guys were were an inspiration for me um well that, you know, that, that's I, why I, we I... asked
1: a question so yeah thank, <laughs> thank you. you can
0: you can carry on now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh but what about you? Like do you um like what even what like what what made you even want to or think about podcasting and, and like how has that developed over the course of time?
1: So we started as a response to the the merge episode in South Pacific. So on this forum that I mentioned, there was this uh, debate raging over whether Cochrane's decision to flip was a good one or not. And uh, there were some people who were complaining that Rob didn't really analyse it that much or not that much detail. And wouldn't it be great if there was a more like strategy intensive? Uh, focus on it in podcast form and no one else was really stepping up to the plate so like a week later after everyone else has stopped caring about it i said to colin like maybe we should give this a try and that that in itself was very uncharacteristic for me like i'm not someone who usually uh you would take a chance like that or reach out and it sounds kind of weird to say oh you're taking a chance because what's the worst that can happen like you you spend two hours making a podcast people don't really respond to it and you just don't do it again like there's no you're not losing anything really but it did you know, I'm not someone who naturally is that kind of, uh, outgoing, I guess you could say, or not, uh, not inclined to really seize those opportunities. So I don't know that's just something I, I, for some reason felt compelled to do and it worked out. And I, I noticed a, a pattern there where like every time I feel that, uh, urge to do something and I try it, it is maybe I'm just lucky that nothing has blown up in my face so far but it always tends to work out. And then even if it's something which it ends up maybe not working out or not being that enjoyable in the moment, I, I always tend to look back on it and be thankful that I had that experience. And, uh, you know, it's better to at least have that unique thing going on than just spending yet another night at home just doing nothing, basically.
0: Yeah, uh, so <clears throat> have you found it rewarding to to uh, to have your voice out there and to, have, to do these podcasts? Like, is it something that... Um... Like, uh, cause I know like there are podcasters even within RHAP, like, I think some of them see it more as like a, a hobby that, that, that is like, it's a, it's a fun, whatever kind of thing. There are people who take it a little more seriously. Um, they're like this, I really enjoy this. This is something that, uh, that I get a lot of, um, that really is really rewarding to me. Uh, and then there are people like me who it's like, uh, this is my life now. I'm, I'm a podcaster. <laughs>
1: Sure, but that, that you you didn't go from zero to I'm a professional podcast right, in right. one but step. Right, But like, wh-
0: where where do you fall uh, on that spectrum? Uh, so I, basically, I want
1: to have your job. I would love to be <laughs> doing what you do, uh, but I'm not there, and I I don't know what steps I would have to take to to kind of get there. So for me, it's a hobby and a very rewarding hobby. Uh, you know, obviously, I, the, the way I frame it to people is these are conversations I would be having anyway, like with Colin with other people, but I get to have them. In this public space, I get to meet all of these cool people and talk to them about this this show that I'm very passionate about. And a lot of those uh, conversations have developed into these good friendships online that I, you know, people that I never would have met had it not been for this. Um, so, yeah, it's been just categorically a, a great thing for me. I uh, to come back to the question I was asking though, it's it's weird because I I try to seek out people who I think seem like they are actively good at this. Uh, so, you know, Rob is great. Uh, there are other. Uh, podcasters who just make it sound so natural. But I think that's part of the secret to it is like you listen to Rob, you don't get the sense that he's spending hours a day preparing for this thinking about how he's going to frame things, what questions he's going to ask, but he is and you know that he is. And I I think that lulls a lot of people into thinking that it is as easy as just, you know, getting a microphone and, and starting to talk into it. And it is on some level and not to contradict what I said earlier, but I think there is also an element of you need to know what it is you're trying to accomplish because I know, especially for Survivor Podcast, you know, it's, there are so many out there that like, you don't need to bring anything especially new to the conversation. You don't need to be this uh, amazing, natural podcasting talent. But just think about what it is that you're trying to do and what your niche is and who your target audience is. Because if it's just you talking into a microphone, well, there are lots of people doing that, right? You need to be a cut above the rest for that to be the thing that you're you're doing, right? your unique selling point.
0: Yeah, I think uh, like when I think about it, it's kind of uh, it's I mean, it's in, in some ways, it's like casting for one of these shows. Like, I think part of it is just personality like like what do you bring to the table in terms of uh, like your perspective Um, and if you have a unique perspective that people can also relate to, um, then I think that that's something that will draw people to you. I think that part of it is the professionalism and like the preparedness and and all of that stuff that I think can only come with experience and, and expertise and knowledge. And then, uh, then it's just, there's also just like knowledge about the thing you're talking about itself. Like, um, uh, you know you can have a certain perspective but if you couple that with uh like an expertise in that subject like if you uh if you've been on survivor or big brother like that's one way um or if you've watched so much of it that uh you're a crazy person i guess that's another way um and i think that if you combine those three i think that's really what has uh allowed rob to to be successful um because he is so professional he he has he's got that natural entertaining personality and he's also a really hard worker and he prepares and uh he's got all of that um on his side as well and i think that's uh i mean at least for our, our niche of podcasting i think uh, that's really where a lot of it comes from
1: what do you do as an interviewer to, to up your game because i know a lot of the most popular interview shows I find quite frustrating. So things like uh, the Howard Stern show, the Joe Rogan experience, a lot of it is these uh, these massive celebrities who have access to other popular figures and who draw a lot of people in on that basis. But inevitably, because they are celebrities, because they have their own following, the show becomes about themselves in a way that's really not flattering to them or, to, or, or really gives their their guests much oxygen uh to play with so like with joe rogan for instance he has a lot of great guests because he's able to book great guests but if you want to hear what those guests have to say you have to sit through an hour and a half of him talking about mma and diet pills and conspiracy legalizing theories and how,
0: marijuana and <laughs> yeah,
1: tumblr is ruining the internet and all of this stuff and it's like well if you're a fan of Joe Rogan, that's great. And it is the Joe Rogan experience. And this is the Taron show, right? You are the, the eponymous Taran. So, but you, you don't strike me as in that mold, right? It seems like in your interviews, you kind of take a more passive approach. You take the back seat and you're more of a, a listener rather than a talker.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, and and that's something that I that I get occasionally like uh, there's been a lot of people that are like uh when when are, when are we going to get the the Terran interview on the Terran show? And uh, I can very clearly see that uh, you are attempting to do that um, in your stopped. interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I you know, I think for me, and I've I've talked about this a little bit, but like for me, this show, uh, the the funny thing for me about the title of of this podcast is that it's not about me, um, and uh, I that was sort of one of the amusing thought. Like when I couldn't think of a better name, uh, I was like, "Well, that's kind of funny." There's like a, there's an irony there, calling it the Terran Show and having it be about everybody except for me. Um, and uh, I think that's really just because the the point of the show is to focus on other people, and I want to learn more about other people. Uh, that's always been what I think drew me to to movies and, and shows and, and entertainment was uh, like studying characters and and learning about people and their interactions and their responses to things. And um, so it's I think it's a natural mode for me to be inquisitive and to just like try to figure out other people um and i'm very much not the like the person who is going to just talk about myself all the time and uh that means that i'm not like the life of the party at uh, at these live events um but uh it does make me i think a better uh interviewer on a show so do, you know do you find it
1: it's harder to get people to open up when you're so reticent yourself or does it give them more room to say that piece? And then also when you do join in and you do offer your own thoughts, it seems more, uh, kind of sincere and and meaningful.
0: Um, you know, I think that when I, when I try to get people to open up, uh, it usually helps to, to have opened up to them as well, I think. Um, and so to do it without doing that, it's, I, I try to make them feel as comfortable as possible. Uh, you know um we talk before the show starts sometimes uh you will usually talk after uh and i also just think like um i don't know I, like you just you can't be judgmental uh you have to ask the right questions you need to get them really my the most challenging thing for for me is to ask a question that gets people to think in a different way than they're used to um And because if you ask somebody a question that they're used to hearing or that they're used to answering or that even just like they can fit into a different category, they're just going to give you the response that they're used to giving, which is fine. But also um, it's not them like really opening up. It's them like following the script of social interaction. Um, And so the important thing is to ask a question that will get them to think, well, oh, uh, I have to think about that. And then that's when they start if they if they feel comfortable enough you know, going off of the script, going off of their usual path. And that's when they start to open up. And I think the more they do that, the more they open up.
1: Yeah, the, the thing that we learned very quickly, as soon as we started talking to uh, you know, survivors and other people is people love talking about themselves, uh, and, and other stuff too, <laughs> but but mainly about themselves. And especially if they've been through this experience, where it's, you know, it's heavily edited, and, you you know, their side of the story isn't usually the one that's being out there in the public sphere, that they often have something to say, they want to say that piece, get it off their chest. And they appreciate just having any kind of platform to to share that. So I know a lot of the people that we've interviewed have said after the fact that, oh, you, you know, I really enjoyed this more than some of the other interviews that we've done. And I don't say that to, to our own horn. I say that because we came out of it feeling, well, we didn't do anything, right? We just kind of sat back and let them say their piece. But to them, that feels like a much more active form of engagement than when they go on a show where they know there's some um, agenda already and they're going to have to sit through the same five ten questions again just to get to the point where there's anything new um so like one i wouldn't say mistake because it, it's, a, it's an understandable uh thing to do but one thing you see new uh podcasts about reality tv doing a lot is they they want that one big hook early to draw people in and get their name out there so they they offer you know they basically say any survivor who wants to come on, come on our show, and we'll talk about an episode, we'll interview, and someone comes on because, you know, there's there's a lot of people who want to do that. But then they don't really use that as a resource. It's all about, well, we have you here. So we're just going to have the same discussion that we would have had anyway. And when we do engage that that guest, it's here are, you know, five questions that they've heard 100 times before, and they're sitting through just to be polite, right? And I feel like if you if you want to have someone on your show, that's great. But think about, what they're hoping to get out of it, and how you can you can best use them as well, and that's you know it's you don't want to say that people aren't thinking about that, but I think that really needs to come across in the interview or in the in the episode for people to appreciate it at its at its best.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's it's interesting because I think we have probably similar approaches, uh, and I think that uh, you know I don't think either of us are the most uh, outwardly. Like social people, like uh, like I said, like I'm not I'm not I'm no life of the party. Uh, you know, I, I certainly uh, I talk to to lots of people, but um, like you know, I I'd go to these RHAP events and uh, like like if Jordan Parhar is there, he he's talking people's ear off. He he's the life of the party. Everybody wants to talk to Jordan. He's telling stories. Uh, great guy, Jordan. Uh, and I'm I'm like uh, I'm, I'll, I'll like sit there and talk to, to one person for half an hour. Like that's that's more of of like my speed and i think uh probably more of, of yours as well do you feel like that's part of of like how you formulated your interview style uh, definitely and i know uh, when i met all of you for the
1: first time in new york back in march i was hoping to use you as i kind of shield but instead you were in the corner and i had to just fend for <laughs> myself out there in the wild um but yeah I, I, so for me like i as you kind of picked up on i'm usually fairly kind of shy and reserved around people i don't know but i find with uh, podcasting, it's the same thing that I found with, you know, theater productions when I was in school, or, you know, I was involved in the debate team at school, and then uh, then at uni, it's, if it feels like a performance, then it's fine, that that anxiety just isn't really there. And for me, podcasting is in this uh, odd kind of middle ground where it does feel like a conversation. But it's a structured conversation where, like, I know what I'm trying to get out of it, they know what their role is. And it's much easier for us to kind of play off each other, rather than having to just, you know, figure things out from first principles
0: yeah yeah i do i do my best when uh like if a, if a fan comes up to me and we just strike up a conversation it's like uh i'm, I'm still i'm still working on it to, so that there's not as many i just like uh yep great yeah, but great, but great you, talking you to
1: you guys. have you have fangirls now you can just stand there and let them you know gush over you say their thing
0: i, and, I mean and, uh, and fan
1: dudes as well i mean you, you have, you're <laughs> certainly you're uh what was it cutie patootie i believe the phrase was yeah
0: yeah cutie uh that's me <laughs> Uh, (laughs) um but but yeah have have you always sort of uh you know been been that way like uh like sort of uh just like like what would you attribute to that like what what do you think contributed toward you being a more shy person and maybe somebody else being a more outgoing person
1: i I don't know i I think it is largely personality that's just the way i am and not, not not really the way i was raised but just the way my environment was as i was growing up it was kind of a natural role to slide into and then so my educational background, I uh, I moved schools when I was uh, eight years old, so in the middle of primary school, uh, or elementary school, I guess you guys would call it. But I, I, I'm going to you know, uphold the Queen's English here. Uh, so I, I moved schools, and so I, I didn't really know anyone, and it was a very small school, and if you weren't really connected to anyone previously, it was hard to really uh, make any new friends, and a lot of people, I think, just kind of lost touch after they left because they, they realized that there wasn't really anything they had in common. And then I went to for secondary school, I, I was fortunate enough to go to uh, quite a good private school here in Bath. And it was so to, to give you like a visual picture of this, like the, the place is a literal Georgian mansion just stuck in the middle of the city. Um, so like the the X-Men school? Something like that. Uh, and inner city which is a it's a tourism town like people come from all over the world to bath to see the various attractions just the grounds of the school are one of the most popular uh attractions by themselves uh so all, all of this stuff that you see on on tv and movies about like uh high school kids jostling down the corridors as a bell ring struggling to get to the lessons we would just like walk walk across these acres of just greenland and it was <laughs> it was magnificent but the school itself was this very parochial environment right it felt like its own kind of cloistered universe stuck in the middle of this uh of this large town and so it like the 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 kind of general vibe there was like if you didn't know it already if you didn't know how to fit in then you were never going to learn it like you didn't have the alternative crowd that you get uh that you hear about in like american high schools in particular uh you didn't really have anyone who wasn't in on the joke and everyone already had these kind of social graces and a lot of them already knew each other from primary school and again you found yourself thinking well like how am I meant to break into that? Um, and so like, as the one like weird kid, as the, the guy who kind of stood out a bit, uh, that was especially hard. And so at each of those milestones, you were thinking, well, okay, this environment isn't so great. But then when I get to the next step, everything's going to change, I can be myself and people will like me for who I am. Uh, so then after I graduated, uh, uh, I get to go to to Oxford. And I think, okay, great, this is going to be I can really come into my own here, make some lifelong friends. And it's it's this place that I've mythologized in my head for all this time. Like it's Oxford, right? It's this this great place. And then I was very deeply depressed for most of the time I was there. But certainly in in my first year, I basically just didn't leave my room for a lot of it. Um, So when I tell people that, oh, well, I didn't do any work at Oxford, they think, oh, well, you must have been like out partying or pursuing other hobbies or just doing other stuff. And like, no, no, I wasn't. I just really didn't get up to anything. Um, So and again, that, that felt like you have people from all over the world these very smart engaging nice funny people but at the same time so much of it is you know going on behind closed doors and it's like th- there was no um kind of uh, non-conformism, if that makes sense. It, once again, it was, you. You, if you have to ask how to act, then we don't want you around. Like, you you have to know already. And for me, as someone who takes some time to kind of open up to people and figure out what's going on, it felt like I just didn't really have a chance from the get-go. So I didn't bother, because I, I didn't want to uh, process that rejection for myself. So instead of, you know, figuring out the the possible pain from that, I just kind of did my own thing, um, which was fine. Uh, and I, I learned to come to terms with it but it meant that I came away with you know, a handful of people that I kept in touch with uh, and really not much beside that. And that's kind of how I've been in, in most of these environments that I found myself in. And one of the, the great things about the, the online reality TV community is you can kind of make a name for yourself um, over the course of time and kind of reinvent yourself as well. Like I, I think I'm a different person now than how I was when I was you know, 18 and you know, discovering uh, like previously on Survivor for the first time. Right. But it's, you know, there, there have been friends like Colin, especially, obviously, but also all these other great people that I've got to learn uh, that I've got to know who are kind of in tune with my personality type, who share my interest, but who I never would have met if it hadn't been for this uh, community.
0: Yeah. I, well, do you do you think that what was it that was the depression caused by the, the social situation or was it um, something that that uh, contributed toward it?
1: Well, the uh, the fun or fun thing about depression is it's not really a, uh, a reaction to external events. A lot of the time, it's something which can be triggered by those or exacerbated by them. But it's just something that kind of happens or kind of falls down upon you. And I, yeah, you know, I, I was not happy at school, but I wouldn't say I was depressed. It was just i i wasn't a fan of the environment i was in i was hoping to move on to to bigger and better things at oxford i had all of those things but i was also depressed and that you know it, it was hard for me at first to reconcile the two because i've now got to where i wanted to be um and it's it's not working out the way i planned and i think when you're in that situation it's so tempting to try and fix your well-being to these other events or things that could happen you can say okay well my circumstances are bad now, but then when I reach this next milestone, then things will be that much better. You know, when I uh, when I graduate, when I get my first job, when I move to somewhere else, you know, when we get married, whatever it is, it's tempting to uh, try and link those things up. And so when that event happens, and it doesn't change who you are fundamentally, it doesn't change your situation, you then get even more depressed and upset because you wonder, like, what what can I actually do? I don't have any agency over my uh, my life or my uh, situation
0: yeah well is it something that you still deal with uh it it is definitely and it
1: it kind of it's weird to say that it varies it's just something that is either there or it isn't and it it doesn't have a calendar right you can't say well i'm not really feeling it at the moment can you come back in a few days time when it's going to be a bit easier like it just it's there when it's there and it's and it's thankfully absent when it's absent um and you you, like you, you develop coping strategies over time but it's something which like when you live with I think you you learn to live with and you understand that even if it goes away for a short time it's almost certainly not going away permanently um so you know that that's not like a chapter in your life that you can close the book on you you have to uh kind of integrate that into your personality
0: so how how do you think you've you've managed to do that like you you mentioned coping strategies and like like how do you how do you live with it
1: uh well so there's no kind of one thing that that you do uh so uh, for a long time, I was very strongly resistant to uh, the idea of antidepressants. Um, so to go on a tangent to kind of set this up, I know you said on one of your previous episodes that you you don't drink, right? Mm-hmm. And so for you, is that, um, what kind of choice is that? is that? Is that something which you are someone who doesn't drink? Or is it just, oh, as it happens, Taryn doesn't drink? Or is that like a core part of your identity?
0: I think it's, uh, I think it it started as like, it's it's just not something I'm interested in but it's kind of hard to not have that be a part of your identity when like people like voice that upon you in some ways, like uh, like for me, it's just like, I don't drink, like it's fine, Uh, whatever. But to, to most other people, it's like, that's a huge deal. And it means, it means a lot when uh, like, I'm not going out and, and going to like get drunk with people and like, I'm not participating in all of the, like that stuff. Like I can be there, but I'm not, participating in the same way. Um, and so it separates me uh, to some extent, for sure. Um, so I'd say it's it's definitely a part of my identity, but not really something that I actively, like, I'm not like, yes, I don't drink. And that makes me who I am. Like, no, who I am is what makes me have that choice. Sure.
1: So for me, I was the same way. And for a long time, I was, it wasn't just that I didn't drink. It was, I don't drink. I am someone who does not drink. I, And that was a core part of you know, that was a belief that I had about myself. Um, and th- there are some good reasons that I was drawn to that I and some not so good reasons. I mean, I, I'd seen people that I know and cared about who uh, had struggled with alcohol addiction, who, you know, I, I did not want even the slightest risk of being involved in that. Um, I'd seen how other friends like normally just kind, nice, loving people just turn into just idiots or assholes under the influence of alcohol. Um, and then I think part of it as well, maybe not such a great reason was, I knew that I wasn't really well accustomed to a lot of the social scenes that involve drinking. So I thought, well, if I'm someone who doesn't drink, I have this convenient way of excusing to other people and to myself why I'm not getting involved in that and making an effort to to be part of it. And that, that developed into uh, a kind of disdain for the idea of alcohol. And like, I didn't want to be one of those people who drank. And there was also this thing of like, when you're under the influence of any drug, whether it's alcohol, or even something as mild as caffeine, anything else, you're kind of not your true self. And to the extent that you're that you have problems, and you're using alcohol to mask those problems, then you're kind of you're putting this bandage on it, but you're not addressing the underlying cause. And in fact, you're only making it worse when you come out of that, you know, in this adult state where maybe you've done things or said things that, that have made it worse. Um, so I, I think there are good reasons and some, some kind of questionable reasons for that. But then over time, as I learned to kind of have a healthier relationship with it. So, you know, if I was at a bar, then, you know, I would have a few drinks, because that's what you're expected to do. Or, you know, I I learned to incorporate it in a way which, you know, I'm still someone who doesn't drink heavily. And unprompted, I'm probably not going to drink. But if I'm, you know, if I'm in a setting where everyone else is drinking, then I can do that and feel okay with it. Um, So I I bring that analogy up for two reasons. Firstly, because I think it is a good way of visualizing how I tried to handle depression of well so this is a thing which it can either be this core part of who I am and affect everything that I'm doing or it's something which I can understand as a fact about myself but incorporate into my life in a in a healthier way if that makes sense you know it's something which I know is there but it doesn't have to define everything that I'm doing at that moment um, and it, it's easy to say that I, I think when it when it gets especially bad you don't really have the choice whether, whether it defines you or not um, but it's you can use the moments when it's not that bad to prepare for when it is if that makes sense but i also bring it up because that that resistance i always had to alcohol as kind of masking who you really are was was lessened significantly for me um as you know my physical health kind of intertwined with that so i'm diabetic and and my treatment regime basically involves um a few times a day you you uh, inject yourself with insulin to monitor your blood sugar levels, right? Um, so for me, I have, you, you get two, two different types. You have the slow-release insulin, which kind of kicks in over the course of a few hours, and then the fast-release insulin from when you need this immediate effect. Um, so when I, back when I wasn't working and I was a student, I had this fairly irregular sleep cycle. I would just kind of go to bed when I wanted, wake up when I wanted, and that really messes with uh, this idea of, okay, you need to inject at these fixed times every single day, um, so I would know, because uh, low blood sugar is something which is very commonly associated with uh, bad moods, even in people who aren't uh, depressed or diabetic, right? It's a common thing that you hear, oh, maybe your blood sugar's low, eat something, you'll, you'll cheer up a bit. So I would know, okay, if I inject myself now and I'm still awake in three or four hours, I will feel depressed, I will feel angry, and I'll, I'll feel miserable. And when that happened, the effect was not lessened by knowing that that was going to happen or by the fact that it was a physical uh, chemical reaction that I uh, brought upon myself, right? And so I learned to understand what I was feeling as it is something which is just in my brain in a physical sense. um, And the idea of using antidepressants or other means to correct for that, it's not fundamentally different from, you know, drinking alcohol or taking other drugs or the effect that, you know, sugar has on your body. It's, Yeah, there's no consistent way to like rationalize hating one of those and while still being fully engaged in all of the others. It it was kind of weird learning to process that because I knew this, this measure that I was taking for my physical health in the short term was contributing to my negative mental health also in the short term. And learning to kind of balance that trade off was a weird thing to have to do. But and it's still not something that I fully mastered. But um, I think it informed my perspective on on both of those things uh, a lot better.
0: So uh, did did you ever take uh, antidepressants? I,
1: I tried them at times. I never ended up sticking with it. But at, at first, I was adamantly against the idea for the same reasons that uh, I was opposed to alcohol in principle of, well, this is only disguising the problems rather than fixing them. And in fact, if if I am disguising them in that way, it's only making them worse when I realize what I'm doing. Um, but then over time, I learned to take a more rational view of that and maybe you know in the future that will prove to be you know the best course of action for me or for other people and i would advise other people against having the same kind of hang-ups that that i did at first
0: so is it something that you like it's 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 sort of like a, a a thing that you you constantly contend with i think i see what you're getting at yeah so
1: one way that people who have not experienced it themselves often try to understand it is they they relate it to their own memories of being sad so some some bad event happens and they they feel actively sad like they they remember that feeling of sadness and they think okay depression might just be this acute form of that in a way which is maybe more common or in a way that you can't really control and that it can manifest itself that way and it's you know it, it, it's such an intensely personal thing that you're wary of making any kind of generalization about it but often the way that for a lot of people it, it comes into play is it's just kind of like this low ebb in the background that. uh dulls or like blunts everything else that's going on uh so you can you can be having what seems to be a great day things you know things are going on which you're enjoying you're having a great time and you're kind of consciously aware that you're having a great time but the the feeling is that much less uh evident if that makes sense like it's your 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 kind of rational understanding of how you should be feeling is out of sync with the actual emotions that you're that you that you are feeling or that you want to feel.
0: Yeah. So, it, so, I mean, I, and I've heard that before. Like it's, um, it, it's, it's not really like, I, I think people look at it like a spectrum, like there's happiness, there's sadness, there's in between. Um, and they look at depression as sort of like, Oh, that's below sadness on the scale. Um, but really it's just, it's sort of like a a dullness to, to everything, right? Like it's, it's, I mean, again, I, I, I guess it's, it's different for everyone, but my understanding is, is that it really just sort of, um, like the the telltale sign of depression is uh, a lack of emotion rather than um, an extreme sadness. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And and I'd also say that sometimes, even if it's not offending you in that moment, it can affect other things that are going on around you. So you might know that uh, there's some like event later that you think you would really enjoy and that a lot of your friends are going to be there. You're going to have a great time, but you just don't have the energy to do it. You don't like... The trade off that goes on and implicitly in your head of well, I could do other things or I could make the effort to you know like make myself look presentable and go outside and make the effort to travel to to wherever this thing's being held that seems so much more taxing um and so you even if you're not thinking in the moment oh I'm sad, I'm depressed or you're not kind of consciously uh processing it, it can affect your life in ways that will in turn make you miserable because you, you wake up the next day and you see pictures on facebook of all your friends having this great time then you think well why didn't i uh go to that and then there's this you know, f- there's this kind of pernicious form of depression as well where then you have this voice kind of kicking in saying well well they didn't really want you there anyway and you being there would only have made things worse and like the reason they're having such a great time is because you know you're such a burden or they don't have to deal with you so it's very easy to get trapped in like that spiral of rationalizing why actually it was a good thing that uh you know i did whatever my depression led me to do um and then you know in turn that only makes things worse yeah
0: i mean i think that's that's often like thing negative things tend to to spiral so you're you've been traveling a bit uh you mentioned that you came to the uh the rhap uh was it the know-it-alls yeah. All right. So you mentioned that you came to the the Dolls, and I know that that was part of like a a bigger trip that you took, um, like through the U.S. and uh, and maybe some other parts too. Uh, and then now you're when you're coming back again for this next one uh, in New York, um, you are also planning on doing more traveling. Like, uh, like what does uh, is traveling something that you really enjoy?
1: So the, the actual physical side of traveling, I I I hate. I just all the stuff about like figuring out where I have to go and sorting out all of the like the, the documentation and packing and everything else. I I I hate that. It's miserable, and especially things like like finding suitable food in a foreign country where maybe you don't speak the language and like you you don't know where anything is. So you just go to the nearest place that looks like it sells anything, and you try to figure things out. I, that that kind of burden I just don't really enjoy. But the actual just process of being somewhere else i i really take solace in and maybe that's uh, a lack of comfort with where i'm at at the moment like i don't especially enjoy the uk and for as much as i kind of joke about like the british accent and everything i, I don't really identify as british i think a lot of the uh kind of cultural things that people associate with the uk don't really apply to me or i, I don't really feel any connection to and whenever i've gone abroad I, th- there are a few exceptions but especially when i've been in like the us and canada people have it's always felt so kind of more welcoming. Um and maybe that's as you know, as a tourist versus as a as a native, it's always gonna be that way. Um but I don't know. I, I kinda like that feeling and uh, I don't know if it can last long term, but I, I would like to try if I get the opportunity. D I try like like moving here or just traveling more? Uh well both, but ideally moving. Um so I had like this I had like this fanciful five year plan a while ago to like, OK, so I'm going to do this and this and then that will get me to the US or something. And then that can get me to Canada. And it's like actually going through all of that, I knew on some level it was never going to work. Um, but it, it remains out the back of my mind as something to kind of aspire to and
0: work towards in you know, whatever ways present themselves. So, I mean, uh, do, do you think that, that not feeling very british uh was maybe uh did that did that stem from uh not really fitting in with uh with your peers when you were in school and stuff
1: that's that's certainly part of it and so i think there are certainly more kind of rigid social hierarchies in the uk so the uk is not the kind of uh, suits and top hats caricature that it was maybe 50 100 years ago but it is still quite heavily defined by Uh, class barriers especially in ways which aren't immediately obvious Uh, so at my school for instance you had people who uh, like were actual members of the aristocracy you had it it was a boarding school so a lot of the the kids there were from uh, like wealthy russian and chinese diplomats and businessmen and so on um so they were like they knew what their station was and then you had some of the day pupils like me like some others um and even within there there was this divide between the people who like were only there because they were able to get scholarships or funding from outside. And the people who, you know, there was uh, one of my future bosses actually had four kids who she just sent there in succession, and that was fine. She never had to break a sweat about uh, paying the fees or anything. Um, so that automatically put this this barrier in. But then one kind of interesting twist on that was you had uh, these army kids. So in the UK, if you're in the army, you can't really be traveling around if you have Uh, school age kids because they can never get rooted in any one place. Um, So they often get sent to boarding schools on the government's dime. Um, So you would have kids whose parents were in the army, but who really didn't fit in socially or culturally with anything else that was going on at the school. And the the very environment seemed quite alien to them. And a lot of them ended up moving uh, away or like transferring schools at the earliest opportunity. And so that was the first thing that really brought home to me that like, yeah, these distinctions do still exist for as much as people like to try and paper over them um, and pretend they, they aren't there. And then when I got to Oxford, which by itself has a reputation for being like this elite, hallowed institution, I find like with a lot of stuff like that, whenever you you actually get there and you see how the sausage is made, you start to lose a lot of that respect. So even with Survivor, yeah. that's true, right? So you have, you have, there are multiple examples that I can think of off the top of my head of super fans who... Went out there to play Survivor, like they they lived their dream and they did well. They they got invited back and they have this this ma- this massive following now and this life-defining experience. But who ultimately have kind of soured on Survivor a bit. They've uh, become a bit disenchanted with the whole idea because it doesn't have the same uh mystique to them anymore. And I really felt the same way about Oxford that you know for as long as I was at school, one of the things they really drilled into us was okay, you have to get into this great university, right? And then I'd always dreamed of going to Oxford, and then like the when I got my letter saying that I was accepted, that was one of just the happiest days of my life at the time. And then I get there, and it's not what I dreamed of, or even worse, it was, but for people other than me, and it was just a sense of like, well, maybe it's just me who doesn't fit in here. And you you would see the same kind of thing of people who were just like, walk into any room feeling that they were going to be absolutely loved by everyone there that they could succeed at whatever they tried. And in most cases, they were right, because they had just coasted through all their lives not even failing upwards just succeeding upwards but without any real effort put into it um and I, whatever algorithm they use to decide who goes where in the oxford college system they somehow placed me in the most uh like stereotypically like uh upper class party college that there is um so i i was especially bad in that environment and i just i just didn't like it at all um and i found i got along a lot better with some of the foreign students um, who were coming to it with a very different perspective than I did with a lot of the Brits who it was like they lived in a completely different reality for me. Um, I think something else too is uh, you often hear it said uh, that like, society expects men not really to show emotion or to show enthusiasm about things and so on and that's true but it's also true of british people and especially of british men like if you trying to get british men in general to talk about their feelings or really show any kind of enthusiasm for stuff is it's like getting blood from a stone they just don't want to do it except in very very narrow uh socially prescribed contexts. um and i'm someone who like as someone who's more kind of reserved myself, I need other people who are more extroverted, who are more able to kind of open up and actually start the conversation and and get things rolling. And a lot of my friends and a lot of my closest friends are exactly that type of people. They are the life of the party. They're the one that everyone kind of naturally flocks to. Um, Whereas if you get 10 people like me or maybe like you in a room and we just never talk to each other, it's hard for that to (laughs) build into any kind of long lasting friendship, right? Um, And I found in general as well, like when if you are going through, whether it's, your know, physical health, mental health problems, whatever, that kind of national attitude of this, oh, this stiff upper lip, and you've got to, uh, you know, mustn't grumble, you can't really complain about anything. That is quite damaging in terms of finding support and finding people who can help you through that. So um, I guess kind of that, I guess some of that resentment uh, stems from that as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely can uh, relate to that in in, in some degree. Uh, I definitely had a, a chip on my shoulder for a little while about the, uh, the uh, masculine persona that i was uh, supposed to uh, you know resemble or uh, whatever um and uh, and yeah it's it's uh, i i i i mean i certainly something that i i experienced in the us um but uh, i know i know it's also a cultural thing in in the uk i think it's it's probably something that's pretty common everywhere um But uh, very, very annoying, I would say, Um, especially when you're like a troubled young boy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like everyone, well, at least the people that I talk to, everyone has gone through like that angst ridden teenager phase, right? Where they just they hate the world and everyone in it and they're just looking for something to lash out at. And I I don't know, I I feel like especially the the school environment is really a bad way of uh, getting through that when you're around other people who are going through the same thing. And then a bunch of other people who will pick on you for going through that thing, and it's it's hard for that. It's amazing that anyone leaves school with a healthy attitude towards life. Really,
0: like it's <laughs>
1: it honestly feels like the exception rather than the rule. Even though most people end up doing
0: it. Yeah, uh, and I mean, I think that's why uh, one of the reasons uh, why I was drawn to things like uh, Big Brother and, and, and shows and, and stuff like that because uh, it was it's kind of like uh, an area that you can explore these emotions and these feelings and these roles that you're supposed to take, uh, and do so, uh, with freedom, like, uh, freedom from judgment, because, uh, you are the one who is sitting there judging the characters and examining the characters. Um, and, uh, you know, big brother is certainly, uh, true of that. Like you, you are the person watching their every move and you can really, you can see the personalities that you, that, that that bug you right like that uh like this this person it he always gets at me because uh you know he he's he's like the manly guy and i'm not the manly guy and like what makes this guy tick and then i watch him on big brother and i see him in his moments alone and i'm able to like actually dissect like who is this person
1: that definitely resonates with me and like one of the things i do when i meet a new group of people for the first time is i kind of run through in my head okay if these people were on you know survivor or a game like that Who would do well? Who would do badly? Who would the leaders be and so on? And that's not because I'm just this freak who's obsessed with Survivor, even though I am. But also, I think it, it genuinely does illuminate things about how people interact with each other and how people should act both by themselves and in groups. So I think it's interesting, especially with the way that these games are very democratically structured, where, okay, every person has one vote and there's no, like, outside influence, there's no bartering involved, there's no, oh, well, I... I was born into a fortune, so I naturally have more power over you. It, in theory, it is the most kind of reductive environment that you can create where that stuff shouldn't matter. And yet you still see a lot of the same uh, kind of social hierarchies being built up organically um, by those same people because of those expectations that they've uh, they've had through what they've experienced in society their entire lives. Um, and then also, it, it, it is fun to think about. Like, okay, is this person loyal to the friendship group, or are they just hanging around because it's fun for right now? Uh, who's the real leader? Is there someone who sounds like they're the leader because they're loud, but actually that kind of quieter voice in the background is the real voice of influence? I, I think it helps to just judge the group dynamic and, and figure out what's going on. And, it, and and that's not just because it's this fun like fantasy escapist experience that you can
0: construct in your head. Yeah, I, I mean, um, and, and I think it, it, it correlates too, because uh you know the the big brother fans they love to see these these power structures built and then like uh over overcome like uh you know they because you're right like people go into big brother it's a free-for-all like money doesn't matter it doesn't matter who you are outside of the house it only matters who you are inside of the house and yet the the people that would be uh typically the social leaders outside of the house are usually the people that can initially draw people to them and so we see that natural structure form and then i think there's a lot of catharsis in the fan base to watch that initial power structure uh be be overtaken when the rest of the people realize they can't stop us like they don't have the abilities that they do on the outside of this house um and uh and we can just we can do something to take the power back Um, and uh, you know it doesn't always work that way and sometimes the roles are reversed like in Big Brother 19 where uh, we see I think the typical people that you would consider to be like the socialites uh, in Cody and Jessica end up being on the outs and being the underdogs and it kind of can confuse and muddy the waters sometimes but I think that's why people love those power shifts um, more than anything is the idea that uh, in real life you don't see power shifts like that the people uh in charge of things are going to be the people that stay in charge of things for the most part uh but in big brother there is something you can do to change your own position in the in the game in in a way that you can't outside of the house
1: yeah i'm also a big believer in the idea that it's good to have some kind of obsessive interest in something whether it's i don't know survivor or sports or or anything else to taste your fancy because it's, it's much easier to just learn about things in general and other people when you can analogize that to something that you know a lot about. And I think Survivor is perfectly suited for that uh, or just reality TV fandom in general because it lends itself not only to the kind of analytical side that I know we both love of, okay, breaking down all the options that people have and how people make decisions and why and, and what those right decisions are but then also the social side of things of just figuring out how people work at a fundamental level uh, and then watching that play out in all of these different uh, environments. So I, I think Survivor is, I mean, I think it's a fun show. I think even if it had no educational value whatsoever, I would still spend far too much time talking about it. But I think it it genuinely is a great learning tool as well. And so you see efforts, like I know my good friend, uh, Sarah Channon, she uh, live tweets uh, Survivor with kids, where like she's watching Survivor, with her children using that as a teaching tool, uh, to kind of go through, uh, your important lessons that everyone needs to learn. And that's, that's not just something that kids can do. I think that's something that anyone who watched the show can get some value uh, out of as well.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's, you know, it, there's something about it too. Like, and Big Brother has failed to do this uh, uh, more recently, but um, there's something that separates it from a lot of the other kinds of reality shows in that uh, it's, for the most part, it's everyday people. You know, I, I've watched, I've watched the occasional, I've, tr- you know, people. They always talk about these MTV reality shows. I've tried them a couple times, and there's just like absolute insane, crazy people on them. I can't relate to them in any way, like even remotely. Uh, but like. The th- I think the thing that is that is key to Big Brother and Survivor beyond the game aspects is the fact that these are real people who are like actually relatable. You're able to see them react to certain scenarios that are both something that you might experience in real life and an extreme that you might never experience in real life.
1: Yeah, th- that's one of the the go to questions that people always ask whenever they hear that you have that kind of obsessive interest. Is oh, how has that affected uh, the rest of your life? And you you always struggle to come up with uh, specific examples when the actual answer is is affected who you are as a person and then that in turn affects every other aspect of who you are and what you do. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of the important things that define either you as a person or a lot of the important choices that you have to make are things which there's really no like practice for no analog for so whether it's like do i quit my job and move across the country or you know do i buy a house do i get married do i get divorced do do i want to have kids like things like that there's no real training that you can do to uh understand how that should work and i think the best you can do is you know, get all of this useful knowledge and experience from every source that you can, in the hope that when the time does come to to make those choices, you're just that little bit better at, at doing that because of all of these uh, useful things that you've seen and absorbed over the, over that time.
0: Yeah. So, uh, do you feel like? Uh, like where, where are you in terms of like, uh, like what you want to be doing with your life? Like you want to move, you want to, uh, I press probably do like more podcasting, but, um, like what, like what, are, what is, what are you doing right now? And what is like, uh, the goal and how are you, uh, like getting closer to the goal?
1: So uh, I'm currently working in software development, Uh, not sure how long that's going to continue for It's another one of those things where I had this uh, kind of existential crisis the moment I got into it. So the way that I decided to move into the field was, okay, I'm going to go back to university, do a master's uh, in computer science, and it's a conversion. So they assume no prior knowledge, they just teach you from the ground up how to do things. What in practice that meant was you get held in the deep end and you have to kind of figure your own way uh, through that. And for me, two weeks in, I was thinking, like, should I really be doing this? And eventually struggled through, made it to the end. Um, and for me, that was part of that, that plan that I spoke about, where it's like the jobs are there, the jobs are good. Um, in terms of like immigration procedures and everything, it's always something which is at the top of the like most desired jobs list. Um, the jobs are usually quite flexible as well, so... If there are like physical or mental health issues that come up again, then it's going to be more easy to to work uh, work around those. And it's also just an interesting field, and I think it's another thing where like it trains you to just approach life in a more mature way. Because when you know, as a software developer, you spend uh, far too much of your day wrestling with. Mistakes that you've caused that you didn't even realize you were causing at the time, Uh, and so it's a a very humbling thing to have to learn and to work through. And you do that every day, and you understand that you are not going to be perfect, and that there is this massively complex system that you have to figure out, and which, like, you're not going to get it at first glance. No one goes in, looks at it for the first time, and understands everything that's that's going on. It's this kind of base of knowledge that you you acquire and then learn how to extrapolate onto other things. And that's a kind of perfect model for life in my view.
0: So uh, do you feel like it's helping you get closer to moving? Is that still a part of uh, like the plan or is or that changed?
1: That's certainly part of the plan. And so when I come back to the US and Canada in a few weeks, actually, which I'm very much looking forward to, part of the, the reason for that is to scope out, okay, are these places that I might want to live in going forward? And if so, what are the options for getting there? Uh, is this a realistic thing or is this a, a kind of fantasy which i should probably just get out of the way and look for something
0: more uh more down to earth uh my advice uh don't go somewhere cold
1: so in the uk we have a habit of uh complaining about the weather and that's because it's not really hot and it's not really the, it's not really cold except at random times when it just spikes or or plummets for no apparent reason it's just dreary and and wet and miserable and it's just kind of depressing honestly and that's no joke like that's one of the things that i know for a lot of people contributes to just their overall well-being is what is the what is the environment like and in the uk it's uh it's not so great we have a lot of uh beautiful like open green places but you can't always enjoy them depending on what the weather's like so uh that that is a real thing that people uh that, that people care about
0: yeah, uh, before I left my job, I was uh, I had a trip to the UK, and uh, we went all over the place. I have some lovely um, pictures of me uh, in London uh, when it's raining uh, on the London Eye as it's raining and there's fog everywhere. Um, uh, me looking miserable in front of the Stonehenge as it's raining. Um, <laughs> it's it's uh, lots of pictures uh, with me and rain, uh, basically. <laughs>
1: yeah as someone who has lived in a a heavy tourist town for the past you know 12 13 years you you see a lot of tourists who are just like huddled together under their umbrellas taking selfies in front of random landmarks which (laughs) for you don't even stand out anymore they're just part of the uh the structure and you think well why do they bother like and is this what i'm doing every time that i go to like new york or boston or wherever i end up next like is this am i going to be that person
0: yeah (laughs) well uh you know uh i'm there to film so uh it's i'm just bored so i'm taking pictures of myself normally i'm not the the selfie person uh but uh but yeah i mean it's it's very much i think part of that too is like the reason people do that is just just kind of like uh look i was actually here uh this is something to prove that i was here
1: <laughs> well i think people do that for others when they should be doing that for themselves like i know yes when i look back on pictures of you know, trips I took six or seven years ago, things which I can't really remember anymore, but just looking at those photos really brings stuff back. Um, And my, my first job was working in a hospital where I would get to go around a lot of different departments and kind of talk to a lot of different people. And one of the more fascinating parts of that was getting to talk to people who work with memory loss. And one of the things they often say is just having like that recreation, whether it's a visual thing and a photo or one of the more ambitious projects they made was uh, for uh, like World War II survivors, who a lot of them, you know, they're very elderly now. They have Alzheimer's and so on. They would recreate like a 1930s, 1940s style home uh, that people could just take a tour around and uh, touch objects from that time. Uh, they didn't have food from that time because that's a little harder to, to come up with, but they, they would just recreate that entire experience for them. And a lot of them would come away with you know substantially improved short term memory, even a few weeks after the fact, because they were able to. Just kind of have that vivid recollection of something which meant so much to them and that was such a part of their upbringing.
0: Yeah, it's weird. uh, Like doing this podcast, also like having the like these very like varying conversations where we do like deep dives into like childhoods and all sorts of things. Uh, It's also brought. Like weird memories, but like back for me, like when I was talking to Aubrey and uh, we discovered that like we worked at the same like uh, media newspaper place or whatever. Yeah, what was that about? That's like a glitch like, <laughs> in the matrix, right? Right. <laughs> um, I mean, really, it wasn't. It wasn't much more than that. I think that um, I think we found the person that I like did the job shadow for, uh, and and Aubrey knew of her uh, and. It's just weird. It, it like, and, and I, like, literally had never thought of that. Like, that experience was completely lost to time i was never going to think about it ever in my life like it was just not a part of my history until she talked about that place and i was like wait a minute uh and it's just like uh it's interesting like even just the things that can come back to me through just talking um uh and yeah i mean i'm definitely not much of a, a picture person i for as much as lita tries to get me to i, I don't think i'm ever going to have an instagram <laughs>
1: Well, in some of my uh, my darker, introspective moments, I do wonder that, you know, a lot of the people, even the ones that I'm very close with, like, there's going to be a point where that is the last conversation I'm going to have with them. And <laughs> in the vast majority of those cases, I'm not going to recognize that at the time. Right. So yeah. if you want to, like, turn that into a more, like, inspirational quote or whatever, or some, like, maxim to to be <laughs> aware of, it's like, well, I think you just have to try and value and remember the the good times you have with people knowing that they are finite and like, if they weren't finite, maybe they would mean less long term. Like, if you can just have these, uh these pleasurable moments just on tap whenever you want, then each individual moment means less, right? Whereas if you, if you have to cherish what you have and what you've experienced in the past, then I think that does assign more value to them, even if like, the process of losing them later is, uh, is more painful.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that, I, I mean, I think that's true of, of anything, like, really just like, the the loss of something makes it much more important um i think that's part of why we uh we cherish our childhood things that we no longer have um and then like uh part of why like remakes now are like all the right re- like oh man like uh remember this remember that um but yeah it's uh that's <laughs> definitely a morbid thought well it, uh, you see people getting so mad about stuff like remaking
1: ghostbusters or whatever and like on the face of it, it's such a stupid thing to get word up about, but you can, and especially given the the tone and the content of a lot of those criticisms, but you, you can kind of understand that like, this is something which for whatever reason, had a lot of value to you. And you see that just like reworking yourself in front of you in motion, and you, you can't really do anything about it. Right. And that, that shouldn't change anything for you, you should be able to just remember it for what it was. And now other people can will have those memories going forward too. And that's something that you should be able to be happy for them about. Uh But you, I, I do hold like a sliver of empathy for those people who just like all of those constants from back in the day just aren't the same anymore. It's like why you see all those Facebook pages like, oh, 80s kids or 90s kids. And it's just filled with just like random TV shows from back in the day, which would never see the light of day nowadays. They would never get, get past any like uh TV review board or anything. But it's just for some reason at that moment in time they really just captured what uh, captured people's imaginations and and they still do however many years later
0: yeah that that was very much a thing uh, in college for uh for people around me is like uh reliving their child like now that they're away from their parents they're like uh, reverting back to children and they're like doing all the things that they did as children a- at the same time as they're like uh you know venturing off into a different direction they're partying and hooking up and stuff it's a it's a weird contrast um <laughs> it's, uh, that i uh again observed <laughs> from afar
1: <laughs> well, even now as adults the way that people are like processing the horrors of the world around them always comes back to these kind of fictional universes, right? Like, mm. oh, well, you know, Trump is Voldemort, right? He can't just be Trump. He can't be his own entity. He has to be uh, kind of... We need some, like, frame of reference that we can place in the context of a larger struggle, right? Uh, or the way that, you know, Game of Thrones... Pop. Everything is Game of Thrones now. Everything has to be... <laughs> come back to Game of Thrones in some way or another, right? Because it's, you know, it's a very kind of vivid, imaginative uh work that you know whoever you are you can
0: find something to either love or hate about it and so it's going to inspire these strong connections either way yeah it is weird like when you're talking about you know remakes and stuff because game of thrones for me like i had been a a book reader before the show came out and so for me it was like it was it, it was like something very personal to me and it was one of my favorite uh you know book series um and now like I don't feel any ownership over Game of Thrones any or or a Song of Ice and Fire. Um like it feels like it's it's the world's now. Like everybody else has a like a deeper relationship with it than than I do in some way. Uh and so it does feel like I've I've lost like I can no lo- I I no longer feel like I can say, like, yeah, you know, uh Storm of Swords, one of my favorite books. Even it is, but now it just feels like I like it's not it's not part of, uh, like me. It's, uh, it's part of the culture. Uh, it's like, a, it's the culture has appropriated my thing. Hmm. Um, <laughs> in many ways. Uh, and it, because like, when I was a kid, like I said, uh, like this is the stuff that uh, that I clung to. Like the my coping mechanism as a child was uh, was media, and so things like uh, Game of Thrones and um, and like uh, like Death Note, uh, like those and, and Big Brother, all of these things, like those were things that like were part of of me and part of like ha- what how, what helped me move forward. And then uh, to see like this Netflix remake of Death Note, which is just a total joke, it's just like what. What have you done? (laughs) Why would you do this?
1: And like those Game of Thrones fans who were brought up on the books and then got caught up in the hype over the TV show with everyone else versus the people who watch a TV show and then thought, oh, maybe I should check out the books. In a sense, they are both Game of Thrones fans, but they're living in two completely different universes almost. Like the two of them they can discuss a show and debate the show and have a good time talking about it but they're doing so from completely different standpoints
0: yeah and and it's weird for me too because like i was the book reader who was watching the show and then because George R.R. Martin didn't publish a book in what's been like six years. Uh, it now feels like I'm a show watcher that reads the books. Like, I feel like I've, I've, I've changed. Uh, and, and like the show has, has become the primary partly because the show has surpassed the books, uh, but also just, uh, because, uh, not in terms of quality, in terms of story. Um, <laughs> and also because, uh, because it's just been so long, um, And it's just such a a part of our, our culture. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I talked to Josh about this a lot too, just like how media like stories can really, um, be a part of, of your life and your identity and like what they can do for you. And, uh, and I, I think it's, it's interesting to, to look at stuff like that. Um, and and and, I get, and it is. It's sort of like uh, you you remember fondly, uh, you know, like Firefly that had one season, uh, but nobody remembers ER very fondly because it lasted fourteen or whatever. <laughs> it's like, um, I guess some people remember ER fondly. I do, but uh, it's I, not the I, same. Just wanna,
1: I just want to. I just want to see Supermarket Sweep come back. That's all I care about in this moment. Isn't it coming back? Uh, it is, but so. I feel like the American fans don't know the glory of Dale Winton. If there are any British listeners, they will know exactly who I'm talking about. But uh, if they can somehow exhume Dale Winton from whatever grave he... I don't think he's dead, so they probably shouldn't do that. But if they can find Dale Winton and get him on a plane to the States, then I-
0: I'm in. Let's do it, because this will be uh, fantastic. <laughs> they, well, they need to they need to invite Mike Boogie uh, to come back as well what for like uh big brother mike boogie versus del winton and we because oh, like, really uh he needs uh he needs revenge on the supermarket sweep course hey, boogie is a good hype man i think he'd be a good host i don't I, I guess so yeah yeah
1: i could see boogie hosting it either way i don't care as long as i get my favorite game shows from the 90s back i, I can
0: die a happy man <laughs> yeah exactly uh i have the same problem with uh with video games too like uh, video games are a big part of my uh my youth and then like i don't know if it's that i don't like new video games or if it's that like i'm now my personality now like doesn't like video games as much so i'm like not able to adapt but but because i liked them before like all of the old ones i like i can go back and play like ocarina of time or yeah. like even like a new game that's based on those same like basic mechanics i'm like yes this is great but if i'm playing like uh, call of duty this is gross
1: yeah i i I struggle with that too so i'm a big fan of twitch and just like watching random streams on twitch and i find that even with these newer games which objectively are very good and they have amazing cinematography and and great gameplay and everything else i just i can't really be engaged with them the same way that i am watching something which i know i loved playing myself like 15 years ago um Mm -hmm even if like I know everything there is to know there's no spoilers right there's no drama that there's left unseen it's just I know what I'm getting and I like what I'm getting so that's what I stick with
0: yeah uh, I I've been uh, I've been thinking about like doing a a Twitch thing cuz like I like video games a lot I want to return to that it's again like uh, I I developed a taste for video games when I needed it as a child. Like I needed something to take my mind off of all the nonsense that was going on in my life. And video games were perfect for that. Uh, and they also, again, like I I was a huge person that was into Xbox live. I had like whole friends and communities on Xbox live that I was into. Um, And so, uh, like, it was a huge part of my life. And then as I, like, developed and matured or whatever you want to say, uh, like, uh, it's just like it's not a part of my life anymore, but I still have all of these desires to, like, play video games and these lists of, like, games that I want to play, but it just doesn't really fit into my life anymore so i'm i'm kind of thinking like maybe twitch maybe that's the way to incorporate it into my like i think part of what's holding me back is that i don't want to be like yeah i'm gonna go on twitch and people are gonna watch me because that seems very presumptuous of me but uh if it's just for myself and then uh like it, it feels like a motivation a, a motivational way for me to get involved in video games again i, I didn't
1: realize your your love for dank Easting was so intense <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh yes i will be the next dan geesling on twitch um
1: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm almost not surprised that he ended up doing that because he's such a natural showman and it seems like exactly the kind of thing that he could use to get that massive following and and really love all of that attention but uh as for you you need to get your mario party grind on because in a few weeks time and i think we're, <laughs> we're going to be streaming this again right
0: i mean i guess so uh if if, if people are uh are into it they, they, they seem to be
1: last time um and i i know if if you're good enough i will consider teaming with you if uh if we have that choice
0: <laughs> well i am undefeated you are actually it, another another thing i'm undefeated
1: at. it's a buyer's market you can you can take your peg of wherever you want basically
0: uh yes uh and this is uh like uh if if you want to get to know uh the the to the Terran behind the podcasting um i one of the last times we were at a podcast house we like we stayed an extra day we went to this like uh arcadey place we bowled we did a laser tag we did a bunch of stuff and uh i won every single one of them and everybody hated me uh that's my life <laughs>
1: you're like janelle when she just like uh, after never playing poker before just scoop boogie who like wanted to play professionally and everyone was just furious at her. she just it just rolled off her shoulders
0: you are janelle basically you are literally janelle basically yeah uh so uh, yeah then i just have to turn myself into the heel and then uh when you beat me you feel so good that you you continue to play with me exactly that's, uh, that's how it works um all right uh i think that's uh, i think that's all we've got for now i mean uh i've i've enjoyed this this conversation dom
1: so have i and as i prepare to go down as the worst rated guest in the history of the taron show so so <laughs> far i mean there's still time uh but yeah i, I would like, like to thank you for you know extending this platform to me i know it's been a useful platform for lots of other people to talk about you know things that they struggle with things that they've really enjoyed to just get their voices out there and uh i think it's good work that you're doing and i hope it continues for a long time
0: Thank you yeah I, if this is the worst rated uh Terran show then uh, then, then that's that's partially on me too because this is like uh, three fourths dom and, and one fourth Terran at this point <laughs> and, and um, hey, like, I, if if that
1: with the guess that you've had so far if I if I am the the lowest of the low then that's nothing to be ashamed of it's a good group
0: very very true uh, and uh, you uh, you did a good job of uh, of getting stuff out of me
1: well, uh, d- despite your best efforts, I think we, uh, we learned a little bit more about the man behind uh, the microphone.
0: <laughs> I knew I knew that would be a part of it because, like, uh, we did that house podcast and you were like, uh, so, Taryn, tell me about yourself. And I gave you a, a very generic answer and I could tell that you were like, oh, I'm going to get you someday, Taryn. Uh, uh, you've got me. Uh, I just charmed
1: you with the, uh, the, the accent and the charisma and everything. And you just <laughs> you, you couldn't help but open up to me.
0: It's uh, it's the way it goes. Uh, you've got a key to my heart, Dom and you to mine down all right well thank you everyone for joining us you can uh you can find this podcast on iTunes it's the Terran show that's t a r a n you can also find it on reality TV rehap ups that feed uh which also includes lots of other content about survivor big brother um the challenge are you the one uh all the stuff uh, yeah, that stuff. Uh this is American Ninja Warrior. Um I believe that uh the LFC and I uh we will be talking about Survivor as the season goes on. So, uh it'll probably show up there in uh in the reality TV wrap up. So, if you're interested uh in all that stuff. Look, look this is what I do. I uh, I've got reality TV wrap-ups and I just uh I just get rid of the ones I don't want. Uh I download them all and then I just uh whoo, mark that red, mark that uh listen to uh even though I didn't because I don't watch the show. Um but then uh, it's it's just easier it's just easier um so you can do that you can also find us uh on rob has a website.com. leave a comment there uh you can find me on twitter at armstrongtaren dom how can people find you uh, so i'm on twitter at
1: dom hrv if you really want to find my co-host that's at colin stone but you probably don't so don't worry about that nah. um and then if you want to check out the podcast which uh, definitely welcome any interest or feedback there that's just the dom and colin podcast should be fairly easy to search for uh, solid seo strategy good branding going on there um <laughs> But yeah, that's all That's all for me. Definitely reach out if you want to talk about anything that I've mentioned today or really anything else. I just love, as I said, meeting people from this community and, and connecting with them over things that we all enjoy.
0: Awesome. And uh, I've been I've been very bad at this, but I want to give a shout out to uh, Will Simon and um, Dolly High for uh, the wonderful music at the start and end of this podcast and any others. Um, They actually have some alternative versions to the songs that I will play eventually uh, that are very fun, Um, but uh, not this day. It's a, that's a tease for the future um, but I want to give a shout out to them uh, for the awesome music I've only gotten uh, compliments uh, from, from both songs so uh, thank you so much guys and uh, thank you everyone for joining us we'll see you next time Terrence asking questions Terrence finding out Terrence looking deeper that's what it's all about it's the tyranny show So you